Will you turn with me uh, this morning into Genesis chapter 21. We're going to finish up this chapter uh, and we're going to start with verse 22. We're going to go through the end just to remind you of what we've heard and seen so far. I've really loved the whole story of, of Abraham because it's been uh, in many ways so very relatable as we look at this man that God had called up uh, out of his sin made promises to, and you would think, okay, this man must be better than all of us, right? That this is going to be a man that makes no mistakes. Obviously, God's chosen him for some, from some special reason, something in him, right? But the Bible doesn't hold back from us any of the ways that this man struggles to believe the things that God has told him and promised. And so we've seen this kind of cycle with Abraham, this rising and falling, uh, we enter into that this morning as we look and understand that the gospel changes everything. That's what we'll consider as we come to his word this morning. Can I pray? Our gracious God, we thank you for what you set before us. It's your perfect word, God. It is good for our souls. We need to hear it. And so, Lord, we pray that as it's read, as it's preached, that we would have understanding, that Your Spirit would work in us, God. Work in this room, that there might be uh, understanding of this truth, that You might lead us to all truth, and You might reveal for us the work of Your Son, Christ. That we might know Him, that we might um, walk with Him, that He might lead us in all things, Lord. So help us this morning uh, to know Christ, that He might be magnified and glorified in our presence, in our ears, Lord, seated in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning with verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who's done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me, that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, then Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his army, rose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? In chapter 15... It tells us that uh, Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him 
as righteousness. This was Abraham having faith. This was Abraham believing the Gospel. The good news that God had given him. Trusting in those promises. And so this morning, we will see how believing the Gospel changes everything. So we're going to consider three points. Remember, those are in your order of worship. The Gospel transforms us. The Gospel makes us ambassadors and the Gospel sustains journeying, sojourning pilgrims. So first, the Gospel transforms us. After God called him, uh, Abraham, and made promises to him, God allows Abraham to go through a series of, of, of trials and, and testing his faith. Uh, Abraham uh, is called out of, if you remember, a, a family that was worshiping um, false idols. He lived in Ur with his, his father and he was called by him to go uh, out from there to go to a land that was not his own. And we don't see any hesitancy. Abraham believes God and he leaves all of those things behind, trusting God and going to a new land. We see great faith. And then, and then we see that the very next thing that happens is almost unexpected. Uh, God sends famine in the land where Abraham now is. And what does he do when trial comes? He packs his bags, leaves the places that God had told him to go that he had promised, and he heads to a different land. And then when he arrives there, he says, uh, this Pharaoh guy will probably kill me because he sees you, wife. So what I want you to do is say, not my wife, you're my sister. This man who had such faith to leave his home when trial comes has now run and there he's, he's told a lie and the lie has consequence and Pharaoh comes under the judgment of the Lord and he says, why did you lie to me? He goes back into the land and we see that it, it, it rises and falls again. Um, when, he, when he goes back, the Lord tests him um, over and over again. And we see that uh, as he, he goes through this cycle and pattern with the Lord, sometimes it's, it's outstanding faith. And you look at it and go, oh, this, this wonderful uh, man, what a, what, what a godly man. And other times you see him, uh, you, ever, you ever sense this when you're praying during time of confession that you bring the same sins over and over again? Abraham meets another king in the land. Once again, lies, conceals, uh, his wife, and calls her a sister. And this man, uh, in, in many ways, it seems to reflect even greater faith, looks at Abraham and says, why did you do this thing? Why did you say this thing? And, and we see through this that God is, is shaping Abraham through these cycles where uh, life seems to be really easy and then back into the valleys where he, he looks out and he goes, I don't understand what God's doing. I, I'm afraid. I'm either afraid for my life or, or sometimes even these promises God have made are just too far-fetched to even, uh, you know, I'm a hundred years old, I'm going to have a kid. He's preparing him and he's shaping him. This is what God does in the life of of believers. Really, I'm, I'm giving a summary before we dive into our passage. In many ways, this passage uh, seems a bit abrupt. We've been waiting a while, haven't we, for this son to be born? <laughs> and here God throws us into some weird bookend 
with Abimelech before we get to chapter 22, which is probably one of those more famous chapters in all the Bible. Why does he, why does he bring us here? Well, he's giving us a bookend, really, of how Abraham has been shaped in his faith before we arrive at what's going to be required of him in chapter 22. His only son will be required for sacrifice. We see how God transforms him. This is what he does in the life of believers. The gospel transforms us. I look out in this room. You know, when you're, when you're reading a passage and you're, you're preparing to preach, you start thinking of the different people in your congregation, what some of you are going through. Many of you would be in this valley where God's pressing you and, and testing you and he would, he, it would seem like you're under the, the, the hard hand of God or the, the hammer's falling and you're wondering, what is God doing with me? And you, you wonder uh, what the end of it will be and are God's promises really true? And I look out in this room and I see people who have gone through it and I see people that are in the midst of it and I want you to understand what God teaches us in the middle of trial. You see it in the life of Abraham. He arrives with this king and, and finally he, he's a man established in this land. He, he's greeted by this other king as if he's an equal now. He comes and wants to make covenant with him and it's not the same man that we saw early on. Here's a man that has some, some boldness before this king. A man that's been shaped by ups and downs. And this is what God does in the believer, He shapes us and He transforms us so that we learn to trust Him, that we learn to believe His promises that He holds out to us. It was just in the same chapter, finally. He's got His baby boy. He's finally in the land. God's keeping all of those promises that He has made. Brothers and sisters, when you look out, on the landscape of the Scriptures, and you see the way God transforms His people, I want you to understand that sometimes when it feels as if we're under the heavy hand of God, we don't know what God's doing. Uh, it, it's, it's easier for us to look at the landscape of Abraham and look back and see it, and sometimes we forget it in our own lives. We don't remember uh, uh, what God promises. We don't remember what we've gone through and where He's brought us. We, we just want out of the, the valleys. God shapes His people. And He gives sweet promises in the Gospel. I wonder this morning, do you know those promises? He will save you from your sin as He did Abraham. He will make your name great in Jesus Christ. As he made Abraham's name great, he promised Abraham he would have a great name. He promises you not just a land. He's, he's bookending here that Abraham is really here to stay in the land and another king acknowledges it, but he promises you an everlasting land with him. How does the journey of your faith go? Are you trusting God not only when everything is right, but when life is difficult? He will never leave you will forsake you. But He will test your faith and the metal of your heart. All the while, He will be as patient with you as He has been with Abraham. All of this is a part of God's transforming work. Learn to trust Him. Trust 
that the God of your salvation, who doesn't always act as timely as you would like or make your way as easy as you would like, is doing something greater and more profound in you. So the Gospel transforms us and it shapes us to trust God more and more. Also, this leads us to our second point. The Gospel makes us ambassadors for Christ. And here's where we really get into the meat of this passage. Uh, Zechariah chapter 8 says this, Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is exactly what happens with Abraham and Abimelech. I pray that it also be true for us as we serve as ambassadors of Christ in the world. As God transforms Abraham, Abraham also has this growing confidence as an ambassador. We see that God had given Abraham the son. He's given him the land and the great name. And now, in this passage, this bookend really, before we get to chapter 22, we get a foretaste of the blessing for all the nations. Here is a king of another nation coming to him, asking him to show loving kindness towards him in verse 23 through 24. When I asked myself why Moses, who's writing this, includes this passage right after the birth of Isaac, really we would have thought, you know, why stop here? Let's just get straight to this culminating passage in 22 of the, uh, of the reason for Isaac's coming and what it pictures. We've been talking about it for nine chapters. Abraham's been waiting on this son for 25 years and Moses writes this passage as Israel's about to go into the promised land with Joshua. And it was there. After they had been shaped in the wilderness for 40 years, God was molding them. Because they were going into a land that was not their own. And it was in that land that they were called to, to be ambassadors, to proclaim among all these nations that had all these gods of the one true God. And they were to go into this land and stick out like a sore thumb so that when people looked at them, they'd look at them like Abimelech looked at Abraham and said, it's obvious God is with you. They'd be surrounded by unbelieving neighbors and they were to be a people without compromise and they were not to take other gods or other wives or their practices. They were to serve the one true God moving by His power and His promises. There, Moses is writing this to Israel. Look, look at how Abraham moved this way and functioned in the land. And Abimelech sees it and he recognizes something in Abraham. Something about this man and, and the God that he serves. Now it could be that he had a dream, right? When he took Abraham's wife and he said, you're a dead man. That certainly would be life-changing. But he recognizes how God has been blessing and going with Abraham in the land. And he asks that Abraham would show him loving kindness. When we look at this passage, we see 
what it would mean to be an ambassador in the land. We've really been talking about this uh, on Sunday nights as you've been with us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what it looks like to be an ambassador for Christ. And there's some markers here uh, that, that are laid before us in this chapter of what it is to be an ambassador of Christ. One is that we are to live at peace with our neighbors. And as an ambassador of God, he will do this. Abraham does this by swearing uh, to Abimelech in covenant that he would live at peace with him, that he would show him loving kindness. And we see that Abraham also bears with his neighbors a kind of patience that God has had with him. In verse 25 through 31, there's an offense between these two men. And Abraham does all that is in his power to mend the offense. We are called as ambassadors of Christ to be peacemakers in this world. And we are called to, to bear with patience with our neighbors. But something sticks out here in this story. We walk with patience. We show loving kindness. But that doesn't mean that we overlook sin. When we talk about living at peace with our neighbors, it doesn't mean that we overlook the real problems that cause division and the real problems that are um, at stake in the, in the soul. Patience and loving kindness doesn't mean that we don't exercise honesty. Verse 25, Abraham reproves his neighbor. Now understand before, he was afraid to do any of these kinds of things. Again, we see how he's grown. And now he speaks to this other king. He says, there's a problem. There's sin between us. Uh, your men have stolen my well. Uh, you want to be in covenant, but there's, there's already a break in this covenant because of sin. And so loving kindness here is expressed in being an ambassador of the God of righteousness. To speak to this man about his sin. Abraham here fulfills what Paul calls the purpose of the whole law. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And as we have our opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Abraham illustrates for us the principle of the gospel in his next step with Abimelech. In one sense, he describes the very thing that happens at the cross of Jesus Christ. There is an offense between the two parties. And Abraham, who did no wrong in the matter, offers seven lambs to set the thing right. Abimelech, uh, after Abraham reproved him of this sin, says, what is the meaning? This caught him off guard. Why are you giving me seven you lambs? So he asks him, what's the meaning of this? And Abraham explains that these lambs will serve between the two of them to bear witness about what is transpiring here, to bear witness for me that the offense of your sin in stealing the well has been set right. The covenant has been ratified by this action. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, this is the Gospel message. God who looks on the guilty party having done no wrong himself, offers uh, to uh, give his own son as a lamb who satisfies our guilt before God and bring us into right relationship with him. As ambassadors of God in the land, the same as 
as Abraham gets to explain to this, this king who has questions about what's going on and what's transpiring. He sees that Abraham has God with him. He has the opportunity to explain these things, to show grace and loving kindness and, and mercy and to show how uh, even a fence between two parties can be satisfied. And uh, in a moment, setting up a place of worship in the midst of the land, Brothers and sisters, we have good news to share with our neighbors. To, to pour out loving kindness toward them by showing them the loving kindness of God and His graciousness towards us. This man in this nation has this opportunity to show forth God and His work as ambassadors of God, as ambassadors of Christ. This gospel has made you and demands that you be this in the land. By the way, in a land that is not our final home. In a land where we stick out or should stick out like a sore thumb. That people might look and recognize there is something different. God is with those people. And just as Abraham, as Abraham sojourns in the wilderness in a land that he will not fully realize is his, his own. Hebrews 11 tells us uh, his eyes were set on a better land, a land that is eternal. So we have a gospel that transforms us and a gospel that makes us ambassadors in this world. And finally, a gospel that sustains us as sojourning pilgrims. Uh, children, how many of you, when you go out with your parents, um, at any given time, maybe you're going to the zoo or to the park, this is what you say. Mom, I'm thirsty or I want my snack, right? Do you guys do that? I know that that's a big deal. If we don't remember these things when we go out, uh, that, is, that is the biggest crisis moment for our family because it's like the child's dying if they don't get that water right now or they don't get that food. Kids, you know, your parents remind you when you leave, Get these things. You're going to need them. We're going out. And man, does it feel like you are in the wilderness. Uh, if, even at the zoo, where you're like, Mom and Dad can't provide for me. They don't have my water. What am I going to do? You expect for your parents to be able to answer that cry and need for sustenance. That they'll have what you need. God promises that He will sustain His people in this world. That He will always answer that cry. The Gospel promises us that God will never leave us or forsake us. And as we go along the way, He's given us those things that we need that will sustain us on this journey in this world where we feel like exiles. And we feel like we are in the wilderness and we understand that this is not our home. After the covenant is confirmed with Abimelech, he heads back to his land, to the land of the Philistines, and Abraham stays and sojourns in that land. He was given back his well. This means that he now has a way to, to water his animals, to drink. He's somewhere in what later will become southern Israel. It's dry and it's arid and, it, and it's, it's hard land to be at. You see why it was so important for him to bring up this offense of the well? If he didn't have it, how would he drink and how would he eat? 
And the Lord now has given him, not only as a, as a marker, you are established in this land, Abraham. I have been faithful. You have a place to drink. Your family will be okay. But also, uh, he has a way to be sustained. Oh, God sustains his people when they need it. How he did it for Israel when they were in the wilderness. When they hear this story, they go, yep, that's the God I know. The God who brought water from a rock. The God who gave me bread every morning. Yes, that's the God I know. And Abraham, every time he went to drink from this well that he would name Beersheba, a well reminding the seven lambs or the oath that was taken. We don't know the exact meaning. But every time he drank from it and his family drank from it, they'd be satisfied and go, oh, how God provides for His people. Oh, how I get to taste the sweet promises, so to speak that God's with us. That Isaac would grow up drinking from this well, the son that God had provided. And Abraham goes on to plant a tree. Now, not a lot of trees there. A tamarisk tree. A tree that grows about 20 feet tall. And it, it thrives in the middle of this kind of land. Its, its leaves produce salt and its bark can be used for tanning hides. It, it's a tree that gives rest for the Bedouins as they travel there, uh, finally shade, something to sit under. And he, he raises up this tree, gives us this detail of the particular kind of tree. And there, Abraham and all those that ever sat under the shade of that tree have a, a memorial, a marker that this tree was planted. This is God telling us and showing us, I am planted. Here I am in this land He has given me. A tree for shade. And of course, a place of worship. He's established here. He cries out to God, it says. This is Him worshiping the everlasting God who gives everlasting promises. When I think of how God sustains us in this world where we grow weary, where we seem to wander, sometimes uh, we're in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, sometimes our faith wanes. You wonder, how can I hold on? How does God sustain us? He tells the woman in John 4 that He is the living water. He sustains you in Christ Jesus that you might come and, and drink of Christ and drink deeply. During the, the time we come to the table, we'll read from Isaiah 55, oh, how He satisfies those who come to Him. He is the well of living water. It wells up to eternal life. So I say, if you wander uh, pilgrim, that's what you're called in this world as we wait for Christ's promises for His return. For those things that we look out and we only have eyes of faith and say, God, how will You sustain us? Oh, go to Christ. He is the well of living water. Drink deeply of Him. If you struggle, if you wander, drink of Him. Or be like a tree. A tree that's planted and whose roots grow deep. A tree, yes, that can even thrive in the midst of a wilderness where we are exiled. Uh, we have that described for us in God's Word. Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Who trusts in whose trust is the Lord, He, like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, trial. For its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear 
fruit. You see, the Gospel sustains us. God's promises and His presence mean everything to us. But we have to have eyes that look to Him. The same kind of eyes Abraham plants this tree. He cries out, everlasting God, worship. Don't you see wanderers and exiles how important this day is? As we're a people in the land and yet we're waiting that, it, that God would bring us to the complete fulfillment of those promises. We wait and our eyes peer out for, for the thing that is eternal. Oh, how He satisfies His people on this day. How He sustains us as we walk and we go along as you, individuals, or go through deep and dark ravines. Or go out into the world, into the, Christian, uh, into the non-Christian marketplace. All of these things. Here God sustains in the land. When you come to the table, where He feeds and He sustains His weary people to go on week after week. He feeds us and He nurtures us with these tangible things. As tangible as Abraham who received his own son. As tangible as the water that he drinks from a well in a land that God promised. As tangible as a king that now approaches him and understands that this man, is, uh, his name has been made great. Oh God, satisfy us. This, this congregation is sojourning. And going along, may God satisfy you and feed you all along as you look and you wait for that better land promised to us in Revelation. Where finally, God's dwelling place will be with His people. And your feet will be placed in a land, an everlasting land, where there will be no more tears and no more suffering, no more sorrow. And all the while, while you wait, He will sustain the pilgrim along the way. God's made us ambassadors in the world to share this good news. Has He not? It is good news that must be given to our neighbors. And all the while, the Gospel is transforming you, preparing you, shaping His bride, shaping His people until Christ returns. Amen? Let's pray.